This is the Relic Radio Show, old-time radio entertainment still standing the test of time from RelicRadio.com. This is the Relic Radio Show, 60 minutes of old-time radio drama every Tuesday at RelicRadio.com. Our first story this week comes from Nightbeat. We'll hear Doctor's Secret from August 21st, 1950. After that, it's Have Gun, Will Travel, and Roped. That episode aired June 7th. 1959. Night Beat. Hi, this is Randy Stone. I cover the Night Beat for the Chicago Star. Stories start in many different ways. This one began with a stay of execution and ended with the death of a man's soul. Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. I didn't like it. I didn't like any part of it. It's bad enough that the guy's got to die without being constantly reminded of it. Okay, so you can't live forever, I know that, but when the time comes, it should just end quick, with no warning, no anticipation, no nothing, just like that. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not scared of the idea, that is, no more than the next guy. I just don't like it constantly tossed up in my face. That's why the managing editor could never sell me on covering the hospital beat of the city morgue. And an obituary is something that absolutely refuses to write itself out of my typewriter. That's what I was trying to tell the guy on the desk when he told me over the phone I had to go down to Joliet to cover an execution. Sure, Randy, I understand, but... No, you don't understand. He had sent somebody else. How many times I gotta tell you I got no one else? How about one of the guys on the day side? Hold him over. Impossible. What's the matter? Afraid to shell out for a little overtime? Cut it, Randy. It's late now. You're gonna have to go some to make it as it is. Now, look, Garrison, I don't want to pull rank on you. But when I took over this night beat, the managing editor assured me my assignments were completely my own. I found my own stories where I pleased. That was all through being a leg for the desk. Well, I've got news for you, Randy. Mm -hmm. When he gave me this job, he told me he was making me an executive, and all I'd have to do was sit back and tell the boys what to do. And that's what I'm doing right now. I'm telling you, get down to the depot and on that train as fast as you can. The execution has got to be covered. You better hurry. There's a storm coming up. So I grabbed a cab. It was clouding up. When I got to the depot, the sky was as black as the city editor's heart. It wasn't my idea of traveling with her, but it's only a short run. We made it to Joliet before the storm broke. The train ground to a stop. It started to rain, and when I was in the taxi on the way out of the prison, it really came down. A perfect setting for the undignified event I was going to be forced to witness. I showed them my press card at the main gate, and they took me straight to the warden's office. Randy Stone, Warden, Chicago Star. Come in, Randy. Ah, sorry you had to come down on a night like this. Well, I can take the storm better than the execution, I'm afraid, Warden. Oh, then you haven't heard. Heard what? Well, you should have been notified. There's been a stay. A reprieve? When? Yes, the governor ordered a stay of execution about an hour ago. His office was going to telephone the press. Oh, too bad you had to come all the way down. 
It's a great pleasure, Warden, I assure you. Come next election, I might even vote for the governor. Well, I'm pretty relieved myself. I've executed a lot of men, Randy, and I don't like it. It's be pretty tough having to kill a man, even when the law tells you you've got to. It's the toughest part of any warden's job, Randy. They're all human beings, and everyone with a story. Yeah, but not the kind I like to write. Thank you. Uh, you, uh, driving back to Chicago? No, no, I came by train. Well, there's no train for a couple of hours. You're welcome to wait here. Oh, thanks, Warden. I think I'll go on into town. Maybe catch a newsreel theater for train time. No, excuse me. Sure. Hello. Yes, this is the warden. Oh, oh, Dr. Graham. Uh, yes, doctor. Uh, will I, uh, uh, just a minute, please. Randy. Yeah. Uh, pick up the receiver on that other phone and uh, listen to this. Okay, sure. Yes, doctor. I said I wanted to come over and visit you, Warden. Well, uh, are you sure you want to come out here to the prison, doctor? Yes, Warden. I feel I've got to come out there. I have to yes? see... Yes? have to see it. have to see what, doctor? Electric chair. I've got to see it. Are you sure you want to see it, doctor? Yes, I've got to. Got to. You can't let me, Warden. But you've telephoned so many times before, doctor, and uh, then you haven't come. I couldn't. Could I? This time I'll come. Well, all right. If you feel that it's really what you want, you come ahead and I'll take you over and show you the chair. Thanks, Warden. This time I'll come. Thanks. That's all right, Doctor. Goodbye. What is this? This is supposed to be some kind of a joke? <sighs> I'm afraid not. Well, how morbid can a guy get calling you this time of the night so he can come out and see the electric chair? No, he won't come. He never does. You mean this goes on all the time? Whenever he's been drinking like this. But a doctor, what did you say his name was? Graham. Howard Graham. Well, it doesn't make sense. No rhyme or reason. No, he has a reason, all right. A pretty grim one. It'd have to be. Mm. His son was executed in the electric chair. Oh. Oh, that poor doctor. No wonder. He hasn't ever forgotten it. What did the boy do? He killed a girl. She was going to have a baby. They weren't married, and I guess he couldn't bear to disgrace his family. Oh, and so he did this to his family instead. Theodore Dreiser wrote a book once called An American Tragedy. How many times do these things have to happen before people learn? It doesn't seem they ever learn, Randy. Oh, that poor old doctor. Why does the guy go on torturing himself like that? I don't know. Maybe what psychologists call a substitution of guilt. The father feeling guilt for the crime committed by his son. Yeah, but, but why? Why? Who knows, Randy? You're the writer. You're the one that's supposed to have the answers about people. Yeah, yeah, a lot of answers I got. Uh, mind if I look this guy up? No, no, not at all. I'll give you his address. Might be a column in it. Uh, I wouldn't bother him with too many questions, Randy. It's tough enough to forget as it is. He doesn't seem to be doing too much forgetting by himself. The warden sent me into Joliet in his own car. We got to the business district. I switched to a cab and headed out to the doctor's address. If my life depended on it, I couldn't have told you why I suddenly had this intense desire to see Dr. Graham. I'd like to think it wasn't just a morbid interest in the other guy's grief, but then it wasn't in my line of duty either. Maybe my reason was as simple as the question, why? But if I'd stopped to analyze it, then I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have gone. Graham lived in one of the better residential neighborhoods, a two-story brick house looking smug and comfortable behind a wide apron of lawn. I left the cab at the curb, walked up the path to the front porch. There was a light on inside. I rang the bell, waited for somebody to answer the door. The rain had let up for a while. 
You ring the bell? Yes, I hope I didn't disturb you. What is it you want? Are you Mrs. Graham? She's dead. Oh, I... Killed herself. Oh, I'm sorry. Over the boy. I didn't know. I thought everyone knew. I'm the housekeeper. Well, I'm sorry to bother you. I'm a newspaper reporter and, and I... You'll be next. You wait and see. Dr. Graham? Well, who else you think I meant? Well, I don't know, lady. I, uh... Is the uh, doctor in, please? <laughs> this time of evening? You have any idea where he might be? Where he always is. Not here. Does he have an office? Yeah, but I don't know what for. I don't have no practice left. Would you mind giving me the address? Morrison Building, downtown. But it won't do you no good. Oh, you don't think he'll be there? Yeah, more likely in the hotel next door to the Morrison Building. In the bar. I see. Drinking himself to death. Well, uh, thank you. If he ain't killed himself already. Yeah, thank you very much. Hmm. Good night. I thought things like that only came out on Halloween. Oh, well. I climbed back in the cab more curious than ever about Dr. Graham and the macabre set of characters and circumstances that seemed to have been lousing up his life. There was still an hour and a half until train time, so I asked the cabbie to drive me downtown to the Morrison building. The night watchman took me up in the elevator. I walked down the dim hallway to a door marked Dr. Graham, but the housekeeper was right. The doctor wasn't in his office. The night watchman evidently expected me to be coming right back down. The elevator was still waiting at the end of the hall when I got back. Now. Yeah, I was looking for Dr. Graham. Yeah, figured you were. Well, he's not in. The office is dark. I could have told you that. Well, well, what did you let me come up here for? Why didn't you tell me he wasn't in? You didn't ask me. I'm one for minding my own business. They come and go, but that's when they ask me. I don't butt in. Well, I'm asking you, do you happen to know where I might find Dr. Graham? Well, you might find them at home. All right, I just came from there. The only other place would be is next door. What, in the hotel? In the bar. Oh, swell, swell. Would you mind taking me down? Should be. You seem to know the doctor pretty well. Oh, so? You know his son, too? The one that, uh, had the trouble? He got the electric chair. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you know him? That's right. That's what. Knew the girl, too. The one was killed. You did? Yeah, oh, one of the old doctor's patients. Rode her up in the elevator quite a few times. Doc is, uh, not doing too well these days, I hear. No, kind of gone out of practice, you might say, since the trouble. Uh huh. Mm. Oh, thank you. I think I'll try and find him next door. By the way, what does the doctor look like? Uh, don't you know him? No, no, that is, I've only talked to him on the telephone. Oh, well, he be at the bar. He's a kind of middle-aged man. Uh, heavy shit. It looks like a doctor. You'll know him, all right. I'm sure I will. I went back out to the street and told the cab driver not to wait. Then I went next door to the hotel, walked through the half-empty lobby, and into the bar. Just like the watchman said, I didn't have a bit of trouble spotting Dr. Graham. He was the only customer in the place, sitting on a high stool at the far end of the bar. I climbed up alongside him and motioned to the bartender who had his ear in the jukebox. Hey, uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's it gonna be? Uh, make it a gimlet. Uh, that's a... Gimlet? Yeah, you know, it's, uh... It's in a martini glass. Of course I know. You're trying to tell me how to run my business? (laughs) No, no, certainly not. I just didn't know if you understood. Seventeen years. I've been mixing drinks in the finest place. Now, look, fella, now, don't get me wrong. Saved ice, dried gin, little sugar, lemon peel, and lime juice. That's right. That's right. There's no argument. Only... 
Lime juice got to be imported. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. We ain't got it. Not imported. Well, that's all right. Just make it a martini, then. In taste, you can't tell the difference if lime juice is imported or regular. So I make you a gimlet. That's what you order, huh? <laughs> sure, sure. Make it any way you like. Imported, regular. What's the difference? Nobody ever complains before. I'm not complaining. Look, what's the matter with everybody in this town? Everybody I meet tonight gives me double talk. All I want is a drink. I don't care what you bring me. Bring the gentleman what he wants, Barton. Okay, doctor. <laughs> well, thank you, doctor. That's all. I can really use a drink tonight. I'm a little on the jumpy side. Mm, nerves can be treacherous thing. No, it's uh, it's more than that. I've been over to the state prison. Tonight? Yes, I came down to witness an execution. In the electric chair? It was called off. There was a stay of execution. I've seen many men die. I, I'm a doctor, you know. Yes, I know. But I've never seen a man die in the electric chair. Well, it's pretty rough. Have you ever seen the electric chair? Uh, yeah. Would you mind very much describing it to me? Well, I'd rather not, Doctor. See, I, I know who you are. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm Dr. Gray. Yes, my name is Randy One Stone. One gimlet, just like you order. Okay, thank you very much. As I was saying... Aren't you going to taste it? Well, sure, sure, later. Well, maybe you don't like it. Well, sure, I like it. Here, if it'll make you happy. Oh, yes, it's fine. It's just fine. Sure, I told you. I'll call you when I'm ready for another one. Seventeen years. I mixed some drinks. He tried to tell me how to make a kiss. As I was saying, Doc, you know, I know who you are. I was in the warden's office tonight when you telephoned. Warden's office? Yeah. I'm a newspaper man. It's only fair that you know, because I want to ask you a couple of questions. Now, what kind of questions? They're rather personal. Well? For one thing, why do you keep on telephoning the warden? Didn't he tell you? Yeah, he told me. Because I want to see the electric chair. Now, look, Doc, that's not going to help. You know it isn't. I know I'll never be able to go and see it, but I've got to call him. It's a compulsion. I drink and I telephone him, and I drink some more. It's kind of a circle. But don't you realize you'll never forget that way? You're just torturing yourself. No, no, I... Down deep, I... I know why I call him. But, uh... It's a secret. Nobody's supposed to know. You see, I... I'm the one that's guilty. It should have been me who died in an electric chair. Look, Doc, I know how you feel, but you got it all wrong. A father can't go on being responsible for the sins of his son. Even in the Bible, it's the other way around. Try to bring up your kids the best way you know how, but after they reach a certain point, there's nothing you can do. You did your best, it just didn't work out. No, no, you don't understand. It was my child. I'm... The one who's guilty. I'm the one who should have paid. That's why I telephoned the warden. That's why I got to see the electric chair. NBC is bringing you Nightbeat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. By the time the bartender got through proving to me that he really knew his business, it got to be kind of late and just a little wet out, so I missed my train. As the evening grew more and more confused, so did Dr. Graham. Somehow, after talking to him, I didn't feel quite so sorry for him. He, he seemed to be enjoying his strange fixation on the electric chair. It was different from just the father's grief. The guy seemed to be going off his rocker. I vaguely remember pouring him into a cab after the bar closed and then checking into the hotel for the night. 
When I woke up, the sun was beating through the window. I put in a call to Chicago and got the paper on the phone. Good afternoon, Mr. Dark. Afternoon? Honey, is it that late? I beg your pardon? What time is it? Well, one moment, please. I'll give you our information, sir. No, wait a minute, honey. It's Randy Stone. Say so. Gee, everybody's been calling for you all morning. Oh, fine, fine. Give me the desk. Just hmm? a second, Randy. I'm ringing. Thank you. City desk. How are you, Phil? Randy Stone. Randy, for the love of Mike, where have you been? In Joliet, where you sent me last night, remember? I know, but that was last night. Where are you now? In Joliet. But the execution was called off. Why didn't you come back? I had to stay over. There was a storm. Oh, rats. The trains were running. Well, maybe next time you won't send me out of town on an assignment I didn't want in the first place. All right, all right. When are you coming back? As soon as I can get dressed and catch a train. Get dressed? At this time of day? I work the night beat, remember? When you day-side lads are catching up on your beauty sleep, I'm working. Just exactly what kind of work were you up to last night, Stone? Or does that come under the heading of personal? Personal, my eye was following up a contact. The human interest you're on, the warden touted me on. And? Well, it fizzled out, that's all. Uh, there was a doctor here whose son was executed last year for murder. That's nice. Be sure and check in at the office when you get back. Okay, I'll see you later, Phil. Hey, Phil, you worry too much. Goodbye. <laughs> that guy's going to get himself a nausea. Yeah? Mr. Stone. Talking. This is Dr. Graham. I met you in the bar last night. Do you remember? Oh, certainly. How are you, doctor? I wasn't sure whether you were still in the city. Well, I kind of overslept. By the way, how did you know I was staying over at the hotel? Why, you mentioned that you were going to last night before I left you. I didn't think you'd remember. You were feeling no pain when I put you in the cab, Doc. I always remember. Everything. That's my difficulty. Well, uh, what can I do for you, Doctor? I said a lot of foolish things last night. No, I don't think so. It was the alcohol talking, not me. Well, maybe the alcohol just made it a little easier for your heart to put it in words. Did you believe the things I said? Well, yes, certainly. Everything? Of course. I just didn't approve of everything. I was hoping you wouldn't remember. Well, unfortunately, I do. Yes. Unfortunately. I'm sorry, Doctor. It isn't good to remember some things. They cause such unhappiness. What are you trying to say, Doctor? I shouldn't want them to bring you unhappiness. That would be such a pity. You'd be better off dead... What the... Hello. Hello, doctor. Operator. Oh, is this the outside operator? No, this is the hotel operator. Can I help you? I was just talking with somebody and I was cut off. Can you connect me again? I'm sorry, sir, but that was an outside call and your party is disconnected. If you have the number, I will be glad to call it for you. No, no, thank you. No, thanks very much. Never mind. I have an idea my party hung up. <laughs> After that choice bit of dialogue, and before breakfast, mind you, I was convinced that the telephone, like the noble horse, had outlived its usefulness. I took a fast shower and climbed into yesterday's clothes and then stopped off at the barbershop in the lobby to get rid of the stubble on my chin. It was now after two o'clock. I could either have breakfast or stop at the bar to take care of the butterflies that seemed to be nesting in my stomach. The butterflies won out. My bartender friend of last night was back on duty listening to the same tired old recording. Yeah, yeah. What's it going to be? Ah, uh, hello. Uh, the doctor around? No, no. A little early for him. What's it going to be? Gimlet? No, I don't think so. But you were drinking Gimlet's last night? Yeah, I know. You don't like them? Well, not today. Uh, thank you. I'll try, uh, try a stinger. You didn't like the lime juice because it wasn't imported. I loved it. I loved it. I just happened to want a stinger today. Something to settle my stomach. But stinger tastes like licorice. 
I know. It's the uh, anisetinib brand. My licorice is not good for the stomach. Maybe something with bitters. Oh, no, no. Not again. Look, just forget the whole thing. Forget I ever came in here. What's the matter? You mad? No, I changed my mind. I'm in no mood for another basic course in bartending. I think I'll have breakfast instead. With a little tomato juice and coffee under my belt, I felt some better. But not nearly so good as I would when I got out of this town and back to my own. I seem to be living upside down on a Ferris wheel ever since I got on that train yesterday afternoon. Or maybe it was just my subconscious still fighting against my undue familiarity with the general subject of death. Oh, I shook that ugly word out of my mind. After settling up with the cashier and checking the desk clerk about my train time, I made my formal exit from the hotel. The fresh air and the bustle of traffic picked me up and I started walking in the general direction of the train station. There was a dark blue sedan parked in front of the hotel and started up just as I swung out of the lobby, but I didn't pay any attention to it. Not until I got to the corner, that is, and started to cross the street. The car had been inching along behind me, and just as I stepped out into the intersection, its engine roared, and the car came straight at me. This was no accident. The car didn't stop. Whoever it was had deliberately tried to run me down. I got a fleeting glimpse of the rear of a blue sedan as it sped down the street. I couldn't make out the license number, but right above it was one of those little green crosses, a doctor's car. Dr. Graham at Musper. And he tried to kill me. I wasn't hurt, but I was mad. I couldn't believe that I'd almost been killed. It didn't make any sense. I couldn't figure out why Dr. Graham or anyone for that matter would want to kill me. Unless the poor guy was really unhinged and he resented my putting my nose into his affairs. But that'd make him more than just psycho, it'd make him homicidal. And that was something I just couldn't walk away from now. I brushed some of the street off the seat of my pants and headed back to the hotel bar. There was a question or two I wanted to ask the fancy drink mixer. Well, you're back again, huh? Yeah, same guy. Uh, how about turning off that tune, huh? What's the matter? Don't you like it? <laughs> I like it, but I've heard it before. Huh? Okay, okay. Gimlet? Uh, yeah, make it double. Okay, double gimlet. You see? I don't give you no argument. Mm -hmm. You say double, I give you double. Thank you, thank you. Say, has Dr. Graham been in here in the last hour since I was in before? Sure. You didn't see him? No. I told him he was looking for him. Well, I checked out of the hotel. Yeah, he was asking about you. He was asking about me? Huh? What do you want to know? Well, just if you ask me anything about him. Oh, I see. How long have you known the doc? Oh, I don't know. He comes here. Has he been coming here long? Oh, mostly since the boy was... You know. Yeah, I see. Uh, before that? Once in a while. Never drinks much before. He come here with his son? No, no. He come in sometimes with a girl, though. What girl? His patient. The girl the boy killed. They had a big argument in here one night. For the doctor and the girl? That's right. Doc kept saying he would kill his wife if she found out. Found out what? I don't know. Just if she found out. But the boy, I guess. Uh, about the boy or about himself? About the boy, of course. And last night, why did he say the child is mine? I'm the one that's killing you. What are you talking about? Are you crazy? Now, sure, I must be crazy. Couldn't be true. So why would the doctor try to kill me? Who tried to kill you? When? Never mind, never mind. Tell me. Have you ever seen Dr. Graham's car? Sure, lots of times. What kind is it? Sedan. What kind of sedan? Blue sedan. Why? Now, where's your phone? Booth in the corner. Thank you. 
Grand, 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 great space. Gordon, Gordon. Howard Graham. Albert Charles David Elmer Frederick Howard. Howard Graham, physician residence. Uh, Dr. Graham there? He ain't in. You know where I can reach him? It's urgent. He's at his office. Are you sure it's terribly important? I said he's at his office. I just talked with him there. Uh Uh-huh. You're the man he was expecting? Uh, yes. Yes, I guess I am. Thank you very much. Now I knew it. Dr. Graham was a murderer. He was literally guilty, not just the substitution guilt. And last night he told me more than he wanted to. Sure, that's why he'd asked me on the phone if I'd believed him. He was as guilty as he could be. But of what crime? Once again, I took the elevator up to Dr. Graham's office, and this time he was in. I opened the door and walked into the reception room. Another door marked private was standing open. Inside, the doctor was waiting for me, seated at his desk, a small black revolver in his shaking hand. Come in. Well, I see you were expecting me, doctor. Yes, I was expecting you. Close the door. Certainly. You know, don't you? Oh, yes. I I know, but I can't understand it. I can't understand how any human being could possibly do such a thing. You know. But you'll never tell. Because I'm going to kill you. Oh, no, you won't, Doctor. Because you're afraid. You're a coward, Dr. Graham. You're afraid if you kill me, you'll be caught... Wouldn't be anyone left to blame it on this time. Wasn't your son, it was you who killed that girl, wasn't it? You know. She wasn't the boy's girlfriend at all. She was yours. Isn't that so, Doctor? Don't say that. An affair with one of your patients and you were afraid your wife would found out. Wasn't that it? You would have killed her. Well, what about this? Didn't this kill her? And your boy, your own son. I don't see how anyone... No, no. It was his idea. He wanted to take the blame so his mother wouldn't ever find Find out. Would have killed her. He knew that. This way, it wouldn't be so hard on her. He said, "The good lawyer could fix things, so that he wouldn't have, so that he wouldn't have to die in the electric chair." The electric chair. <laughs> now you know why I had to see, why I had to keep telephone, why I could never go and see you. You're right, Mister Stone. Well, that's why you're not going to kill me now. You're afraid. You know you're safe as long as I don't tell. And I won't tell, Dr. Graham. The police will never know. You'll never go to trial and you'll never be sentenced. You'll never see the electric chair, Doctor. Every hour of every day, you'll pay for your crime. You'll die again and again and again. God pity you. Well, here I sit doing the one thing I swore I'd never do. Writing an obituary instead of a story. Dr. Howard Graham, age 51... Died from heart attack following confession of murder. 
Let me see, what day is this? Monday, August 21st, 1950. Contributing cause, death of son, death of wife, and of his own soul. Yep. But who are we to judge? As it says in the book, leave him to heaven. Copy, boy. Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy, is produced and directed by Warren Lewis and edited by Larry Marcus. Tonight's story was written by Warren Lewis with music by Frank Worth. The part of the doctor was played by Bill Johnstone. Others in tonight's cast were Ted Von Elk, Irene Tedrow, Wilms Herbert, Jay Novello, and Inga Yolas. Frank Lovejoy will next be seen in Milton Sperling's production, Three Secrets, released by Warner Brothers. Listen next week at this time and every week as Randy Stone searches through the city for the strange stories waiting for him in the darkness. Nightbeat came to you from Hollywood. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. Two stellar chime stars will be back on NBC very soon. Beginning Tuesday, September 19th, that master clown Art Linkletter comes back to prove that people are funny. And Fanny Bryce returns as Baby Snooks in seven weeks to add to NBC's Top Tuesday of Chime Stars. Listen now for the first piano quartet on NBC. You can stay in this cabin and fight it out, or face the men who are waiting to lynch you. Either way, it's a poor choice. Have Gun, Will Travel. Starring Mr. John Daner as Paladin. San Francisco, 1875, the Carlton Hotel, headquarters of a man called Paladin. Oh, oh good morning, Mr. Wong. Oh, Mr. Keg. Good morning. Yes. Oh, please, Miss Wong. Uh, at the Carlton Hotel, you speak to me as, hey boy, everyone does. Oh, yes. I forget. Good morning, hey boy. Good morning. Oh, um, you did not meet Mr. Paladin before he left. No. The lady in charge was showing me what the new duties would be each morning. He left very early. Oh, yes. But, uh, in two days, he'll return. Then I introduce you to my very good friend. Oh. That would be very great pleasure. Oh, yes. Oh, no, 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 no. Something is wrong? Oh, when you make Mr. Paladin's bed, you make it uh, West Point style. West Point? I don't know what you mean, West Point. Oh, I show you. Oh, hey, Mr. Paladin, very particular about bed made army way. Mr. Paladin in the army? Oh, no, no, no. But he was several years ago. Oh, 
Yes, he say it is only proper way to make bed. Uh, you do not tuck your blanket on the corner like this. Oh, no. no. You watch careful now. Yeah. First, you fold on the bottom side like this. Yeah. Then you hold up the end of blanket and tuck on the corner like this. Oh, yes. Yeah. Now, drop blanket and tuck on the whole side. Very smooth and way, Mr. Chang. Yes, uh, uh, hey, boy. Ah, yes. Hey, boy. May I please try other side? Okay. Mr. Paladin teaches you to make bread that I said? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I learned many things from Mr. Paladin. Oh. <laughs> While I work at Carlton Hotel, perhaps you teach me many things? This is Frank Knight speaking for Longine, the world's most honored watch. It's wonderful to win a Nobel Prize in Science, a Pulitzer Award in Literature, an Olympic gold medal in sports. In the field of time, did you know that Longine watches have won more great public honors for excellence, elegance, and accuracy than any other watch in the world. This is true. For close to a century, the highest authorities have ranked Longine watches as the finest achievement in the science and art of watchmaking. Yet, for a surprisingly modest cost, you may own or proudly give a Longine, the world's most honored watch, the world's most honored gift, styled with distinction. Cased in precious metal, promising a lifetime of faultless timekeeping. See your authorized Longine Whitnor jeweler. He will be honored to serve you. The job was finished. The man who had hired me in Salinas had given me an extra hundred dollars to prove that he was pleased, and I was on my way back to San Francisco. It was good to be alone on horseback. As I rode through the verdant coastal valley, I was reminded of Illinois, as I had known it when I was younger. In my imagination, I could see myself riding along on my father's farm, everything very green and sparkling, wonderfully new. Hours became minutes. Then suddenly, I realized it was almost sundown, and I was lost. I had apparently taken the wrong turn at a fork a few miles back. My plans had been to stay overnight in Morgan Hill with an old friend, but now I'd have to bed down on the trail after I found water. While I was looking for a stream, I saw some smoke circling over the treetops a couple of hundred yards ahead. A closer look revealed a small cabin nestled in a grove of eucalyptus. Hey, easy, boy. Come no closer. This is private property. Well, hold your fire. I'm not trespassing. My land. Strangers ain't welcome. How come you're nosing around here? I was looking for a creek. My horse needs water. People don't look for creeks in these parts. Everybody around here as friendly as you? Just be on your way, mister. Look, I've been riding all day. If you look at my horse, you can tell he needs water. You got a well? I'd be willing to pay. How much? You tell me it's your water. You willing to pay two dollars? That's your price. Let me see the money. Here. 
right. You can have the water. Dismount and walk your horse up to that trough by the pump. I'll be right behind you with his right. All right, walk. You're mighty free with that rifle. There's been a lot of horse stealing lately. You got a lot of horses? You out back. They're good ones. They're worth stealing. I don't take any chances. I see. A man don't just happen to wander onto my land. This ain't on the road to no place. I wouldn't be here if I hadn't got lost. I was on my way to Morgan Hill. You're better than ten miles from Morgan Hill. Huh. Not much water in the trough. There's more when it's gone. I'm afraid I won't have any luck picking up that trail before morning. It's going to be a dark night. Dirk? What is it, Agnes? Supper's on the table. I'll be in in a minute. What's he doing here? Watering his horse. Dirk, I heard the shooting. What was it? Nothing. Who's that man with you? Granger. Are you staying for supper? No. I'll need more water. Well, you just pump it yourself. Dirk, why did you hit him? I don't trust him. You killed him. He ain't dead. He ain't moving. Why'd you do it? I aim to find out who he is. Like he's breathing. He's breathing. There ought to be something in this wallet telling who he is. Here. Hmm? You read the printing on this card. I see. It says, Have gun, will travel, wire, paladin, San Francisco. His name is Paladin. And that card means he's a hired gun. You don't think... I might have known come snooping around here near dark saying he's lost. You think the ranchers hired him? Yeah. Probably old Fred Mosley. I got more of his horses than any other. Don't pay, really, does it? What do you mean? Always running, hiding, pretending. It huh? don't amount to a thing. We could make a better living digging clams on the beach. Horse thieving don't amount to a thing, Dirt. Now, don't start that again. You just get us ready to move out of here by sunup. What are you going to do with him? I don't know. I never killed a man before. This just might be the first time. the health insurance that is ideal for young families because it offers you special savings. The younger you are when you start your Mutual of Omaha hospital, surgical, and income protection plan, the lower the cost. Here's what you need. You need young family health insurance, long-term benefits at low cost by Mutual Benefit Health and Accident Association. Call your local Mutual of Omaha agent in the yellow pages or write Mutual of Omaha, Omaha, Nebraska for information on plans available in your state. 
The long-term, low-cost protection every young family needs is available now. Write for details on this modern, flexible protection that can be tailored to your exact needs. Write Mutual of Omaha, Omaha, Nebraska. Somebody had exploded a stick of dynamite inside my head. I tried to reach up and stop the throbbing, but my hands wouldn't move. They were tied behind my back. I tried to move my legs, but I only felt the rope that was binding them together. Finally, when I was able to focus my eyes, I found I was lying on a bed in the corner of the cabin. In the middle of the room, there was a table with a dim lamp on it, and a woman, Agnes, was bending over a box, stuffing it with pots and pans. She must have heard me move because she looked up. Oh, finally woke up, huh? Uh, why, why did he hit me? You can be thankful he didn't kill you. <laughs> why would he want to kill me? We're on to you, mister. Dirk thought you looked suspicious and he was right. He found your card. We know you was hired by the ranchers to come after Dirk. I don't know what you're talking about. I suppose you deny your name's Paladin. No. That's my name. Well, don't be tricking me. You can be honest with me, because I saved your life. Dirk wanted to kill you, but I talked him out of it. You can thank me for that. I'm grateful. I do thank you. It ain't your skin I'm worried about. I'm just not going to have my husband start killing. Well, why would the ranchers hire me to get Dirk? There you go again. Now, listen. I don't know who your husband is or what he's done. I was lost. Smoke from your cabin led me here. I wasn't hired by any ranchers. I don't know anybody this side of Morgan Hill. Now, believe me. I'm telling you the truth. If you are, you wouldn't have to move on. I'm telling you the truth. You could stay here. You believe me? Maybe I do. I wasn't lying. I'd like to believe you. Maybe because I'm tired of running. Maybe because I like this valley, this cabin. Seems like a home. I told you to keep the door closed. What do you want? He woke up. Is that why you called me in here? I was talking to him. I think you ought to hear what he's got to say. We don't have time to prate with bounty hunters. I got the wagon hitched up. Are you done with the packing? He says he wasn't hired by the ranchers. You've been giving you some soft talk. You always was a sucker for soft talk. I wasn't soft talking your wife. The ranchers didn't hire me. If he's telling the truth, we don't have to run. I'm not taking any chance. Dirk! Douse the light. Get down on the floor. Can you see anything? No. No, it's pitch dark out there. Come on out, Dirk. We know Jude has been stealing our horses. Come on out. That's Fred Mosley. Gotta get me, Mosley. There's the answer to your soft-talking friend, Agnes. Listen to me. She was beginning to believe you. I was right. You was hired by the Mosley gang. I don't know Mosley. I didn't know you were a horse thief. You ain't even a good liar. 
Look, if you'll untie me, I'll prove to you I'm not with those men. I'll help you out of here and see to it you get a fair trial. Otherwise, they'll hang you. Derek, maybe what he's saying... I'm tricking us again. Don't listen to him, Agnes. He led those men here. I should have killed you in the first place. And I'd shoot you now, but I got a better plan. Mosley! Yeah? I got your man tied up in here. What man? The man you hired to come after me. We didn't hire any man. He says he was hired by you. His name's Paladin. I'm going to shoot him if you don't leave me be. It won't work. You're wasting your breath trying to fool us, sir. If you don't come out, we'll burn you out. You believe me now, Dirk? Maybe he was telling the truth. It won't matter now whether I believe you or not. They're going to burn the cabin. Paladin, what would you do if we untied you? Help to see that your husband doesn't get lynched. Now, how can you do that? Well, there's at least three men out there, and they're not going to settle for anything less than a lynching. No matter what you or anybody else says to them. Besides, what do you care if I hang or not? I believe in a fair trial. If man's guilty, it should be decided in the courtroom. Trial or no trial, I'm going to hang. At least you wouldn't hang tonight. You'll have a chance to hire a good lawyer. Are you coming out, Dirk? Or do you want to stay there and cry? Paladin, how do you figure on getting me this fair trial you're talking about? Give yourself up. Now, they'll take you nearby. I can follow you and surprise them before they get the rope around your neck. Agnes can go with me with a shotgun. With us undercover in the dark, the odds will be just about even. All right. All right, maybe it'll work. But there's just one thing you didn't mention. What's that? Agnes will stay behind you all the way with that shotgun. And she'll shoot you if you don't do what you just now said. Fair enough. All right, Agnes. Untie For 30 years, almost as long as network broadcasting itself, listeners have relied on Lowell Thomas' colorful coverage of the day's events. Why his continuing popularity? Several reasons. For one, Mr. Thomas insists on accuracy in the reports he broadcasts. Listeners know they can rely on his news broadcasts. Two, Mr. Thomas, because of the thousands of acquaintances his globe-circling expeditions have brought him everywhere, adds personal sidelights and high human interest to the day's news giving it added color, dimension, and meaning. Add to this a well-honed talent for integrating many items from many places into one meaningful whole, and you have all the keys to Lowell Thomas' 30-year reign as reporter, lecturer, and CBS radio raconteur. Mr. Thomas and our great staff of CBS newsmen, reporters, correspondents, and commentators see that you're kept well-informed, kept alert to the constantly changing pattern of world events. Clear, colorful, complete. CBS News on CBS Radio. Fred Mosley didn't believe there was another man in the cabin. I hid behind the door, but they didn't bother to come inside. They were only interested in Dirk. Agnes stood outside until they were gone. And a few minutes later, we were on horseback, following the sound of Mosley and his men. Paladin? Yeah? I'm scared. For yourself? For Dirk. For Dirk. Don't think about it. Ain't no cause for me to hold his shotgun on you, is there? No, no, there isn't. 
I can feel it. You're different from most. You're clean. There ain't no pretending with you. I know that for sure now. Hold up. I get down. We'll walk from here. <laughs> now follow me and be as quiet as you can. There they are. Quiet now. Come on. Stop here. A man brought him by my place. He already got the rope tied on his neck. Yeah. Swinging the rope over there. Ready to slap the horse out from under him. Hurry, Paladin. Yeah. Stay behind this rock. Keep the shotgun trained on Mosley, but don't shoot unless you have to. I'm going to move up closer. Mosley! Who's that? I got four men with me armed with a shotgun. We say you're not going to hang Dirk. Come on out here where I can see you. Not likely. Why do you want to stop a hanging? He's a horse thief. Clear out, Mosley, before we start shooting. How do I know there's four of you? Try us. You don't leave me much choice, mister. You can't fight men we can't see. All right, Tom. You and Bill get on your horses. Mosley, don't try anything. We're leaving. No, wait, Mosley, don't do it. Oh, no. Agnes, stay back there. Dirk. Dirk. Can you hear me? You cut him down in time, didn't you? He's all right. He ain't moving, but I know he's all right. Ain't he? He's dead. We didn't stop him, did we? Slap that horse out from under Dirk right before our very eyes. I'm sorry, Agnes. You tried. That's all you could do. You want to cry, Agnes? Go ahead. Uh, It'd help. I don't want to cry. I know it was going to happen one way or another. That's why I was scared. But it's all over now. I'm not scared anymore. How would you like to help solve a mystery? This is a medical mystery, the mystery of MS, multiple sclerosis. Multiple sclerosis is a chronic crippling disease of the central nervous system. It can affect various parts of the body and usually puts its victims in wheelchairs. Those victims, thousands of them, are hit mainly in young adulthood, in the age group between 20 and 40. Nearly all of them, when they're told they have multiple sclerosis, say they've never dreamed it could happen to them. As a matter of fact, it can happen to anybody. 
That's one of the few things we know about MS. Much of the rest is a mystery, but you can help solve that mystery. Its solution will come through painstaking, costly medical and scientific research. The money for this research must come from the MS Hope Chest. Help fill that Hope Chest now. Give new hope to thousands of sufferers from MS by giving to your nearest chapter of the Multiple Sclerosis Society or sending your contribution to MS in care of your local postmaster. Have Gun, Will Travel. Created by Herb Meadow and Sam Rolfe, is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and stars John Daner as Paladin with Ben Wright as Hayboy. Tonight's story was written by Frank Michael. Featured in the cast were Vic Perrin, Gene Bates, Joseph Kearns, and Virginia Gregg. This is Hugh Douglas speaking. Join us again next week for Have Gun, Will Travel. the relic radio show for this week you can find more from night beat have gun will travel this podcast all the other podcasts and everything else relic radio at the website relicradio.com. don't forget to donate while you're there if you'd like to help support this and all of the shows your support is how all of this is made possible we've got some downloadable sets for certain donation amounts those you can find at donate.relicradio.com Thanks to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me this week. I'll be back again next Tuesday with another episode of the Relic Radio Show.